Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today I'm bringing you the latest episode of our executive interview series. On this episode, I sit down with Restore 3D co-founder and chief technology officer, Cambry Kelly. Restore3D is a medical device company that leans on 3D printing, biomechanics and AI in its bid to deliver personalised surgical solutions for medical professionals. In recent weeks, the company announced the successful implantation of its Kinos Axiom Total Ankle System, developed with 3D printing, and the launch of its R3ID personalised surgery platform. Throughout our conversation, we discussed the benefits of both products, while also touching on the company's background, how it aims to achieve scaled personalisation, and what else is to come in 2023. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tstmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TST Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Cambry, welcome to the Additive Insight podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Samuel. Very good. So I understand 2023 is is going to be a busy year for Restore 3D. How's it been so far? Yeah, it's been uh, really good. We we do have kind of a busy year lined up and a lot of very ambitious goals for um, the business. I think the most exciting thing that's happened so far in just the first couple of weeks of the year is um, our move uh, to a new facility here in Durham. Um, we're, we're very excited about that. It's been in the plans for, um, you know, a little bit over a year now, um, and it's finally uh, coming to reality. So uh, we're moving from kind of our original home in downtown Durham um, to a much bigger space uh, right in Research Triangle Park, um, and that's going to allow us kind of more office space uh, con- to continue to expand the team as well as a kind of state-of-the-art manufacturing facility uh, that we're very excited about. So I I understand the company was founded in 2017. Um, So can you tell me how how that came about and I guess what the the challenges the company was setting out to to solve back then, back five years ago? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kind of rewind, you know, five and a half years ago to kind of the, the formation and the original thesis of the company, which was, how can we use additive manufacturing to really impact the way that we deliver medical devices? And so I think, you know, for us that are familiar with kind of the additive space and the, you know, the orthopedic space, um, we think of, you know, printing offering kind of two big advantages um, for what we do with implants, right? So one is the ability to create complex porous structures to allow for osseointegration. And that's something that I spent a lot of time um, researching kind of in the early days to design um, an optimized pore structure to allow for, you know, bony and growth um, and to have, um, you know, very intentional design rationale. Um, and then the other thing that we think about often is the ability to, you know, do scaled personalization. So we can, you know, make N of one for each individual patient and design a solution that's, you know, best tailored to their anatomy and their physiology. And so printing kind of allows us to do both of these things uh, in parallel. And then I think another thing that 
our founding team really brought to the table thinking about a little bit outside of the, the traditional advantages of printing was how can we use printing to leverage a um, lower inventory model and really think about delivery of just in time? Um, you know, for a, trip, a traditional orthopedics company, you know, a massive inventory build can be something that can be very burdensome. Um, and so we have really thought about how do we leverage the manufacturing asset we have to really do just in time, like I said, um, and to kind of manage that that inventory burden that a traditional manufacturer might um, be stuck with. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that um, <clears throat> you were doing some some research um, there. I, I believe you you you've got your your PhD a few years ago. So what 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 was the research that you were conducting, and I guess what were your your key findings over those years? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. That that's something that I would I would talk about all day uh, if you give me the space. Um, so the company I, I think I failed to mention kind of spun out of some research that was happening um, at Duke University um, at the time, and that's where I was uh, doing some research. And all of that was on later laser powder bed fusion of both titanium. Um, and cobalt chrome alloys. So really specifically looking at these materials that we're commonly using in the orthopedic space. Um, my focus was really on back in you know 2017, looking at um, all the different porous structures that we could create. And I think a lot of what we're kind of seeing come to the market now in the orthopedic space with different porous implants is you know, strut-based architectures or even some of these stochastic-based um, more randomized structures that try to mimic kind of trabecular metal um, and some of the more traditional uh, porous lattices that we've seen in the past, our group really zoomed in on sheet-based um, lattice architectures and, you know, triply periodic minimal surfaces, including the gyroid and others, and really did a deep, deep dive um, into understanding the mechanical properties as well as some preclinical animal models to look at how does bone grow into these structures. Um, and, and we're very excited. We've published um, uh, quite a number of papers kind of showing how the structure that we use now commercially at Restore3D uh, is really superior, not only kind of mechanically um, on the bench top under you know, static loads, um, fatigue loads, but we also have optimized how uh, we designed the structure to allow for um, maximum bone and growth that, you know, is really ideal for an orthopedic device. And in terms of the commercial activity, taking that research and forming a business around it, what did the early years of the business look like and, and what were your products and how quickly were they adopted by the customer base? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'll answer kind of the second part uh, first. So, you know, the adoption uh, from early on was uh, really, you know, really quick. And a lot of what we call uh, peer-to-peer, you know, kind of selling uh, and marketing um, with surgeons that we were kind of, you know, working with as early adopters, um, sharing the technology and kind of the art of the possible um, with their peers, which I think is something that we've really benefited from and continue to benefit from as kind of the the surgeon uh, users of the products kind of understand more about the technology, um, become educated, are sharing with each other through um, published literature or podium presentations and the like. Um, so we've we've really been um, very fortunate to work with a great group of you know key opinion leaders um, across areas in orthopedics that have really. Um, wrapped their head around, you know, the technology and helped, you know, think outside the box alongside our engineering team 
um, to design some really innovative uh, products. You know, the the earliest products that we worked on, um, you know, back in 2017 when we started the company were, um, you know, 510K cleared products. Uh, that includes our osteotomy wedge portfolio for the foot and ankle um, and some spinal inner body products. And the goal there was really to, um, you know, get some first products to market using the technology um, and the manufacturing uh, processes. Um, and then to also kind of, you know, understand the landscape from a regulatory standpoint um, and, and get the company to a commercial stage as quickly as possible. You, you mentioned, you know, selling peer-to-peer um, and marketing peer-to-peer. I gather that, you know, that the customers that, that you have will have heard of 3D printing. They might have even used the, the technology or products made of the technology. Um, was it? A challenge in those early days to convince um, people and, and services and organizations to adopt the the products that, that you had made with with 3D printing or with a kind of understanding of, of the benefits? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, across the kind of subspecialties in orthopedics, there's been kind of a different adoption curve. Um, so when we look at things like um, spine. Um, I think that probably uh, the most 3D printed products that have come to market at this point have been kind of in the the spinal inner body fusion space. Um, And some of that, I think, is driven by um, the size of the market and kind of the regulatory approach that, you know, a company could take um, to bring, you know, a 3D printed inner body cage to market relatively quickly. Um, And then so I think the, the spine surgeons have been um, you know, innovative uh, historically and have been, you know, the first to kind of grasp on uh, to some of this technology and think about how it can be used in their space. Um, you know, another segment that we do a fair amount of work in is foot and ankle or kind of lower extremity and looking at, you know, some various limb salvage procedures. And I think we've been very fortunate to be um, based here in Durham, North Carolina, where Duke University is, and to collaborate with some world-class uh, foot and ankle specialists who really were, you know, looking for an alternative solution for their patient when faced with some very complex um, cases, you know, related to, you know, limb salvage, where oftentimes, you know, alternative options for for the patient might be below the knee amputation. And so we've been really fortunate um, in that way. And so, you know, in not in all cases, but I would say, you know, um, across the board, it's felt like there's been a, a pretty big market pull and an excitement for how the technology can impact an individual surgeon's practice, um, especially when they kind of see um, the art of the possible and understand how, you know, printing really unlocks kind of a whole nother level of design capabilities um, and manufacturing capabilities. So, um, yeah, we've not had, you know, too much um you know, pushback on on the technology. I think a lot of what we've also benefited from is some of the foundational research that we've put in place um, and the published literature, you know, that we've uh, put out that really supports uh, what we're doing and the rationale behind, um, you know, how we're uh, designing and manufacturing the products. And how do you identify um, whether it's parts of the body or, you know, things that can go wrong in the body, surgical procedures, how do you identify the products you make? And, you know, you work with spine, foot, ankle, those kind of parts of the body. How do you identify that and go, the technology that we have and the capabilities that we have 
is perfect for this procedure and this procedure and this procedure. Yep. Yeah. So Restore 3D operates in all the sub-segments of orthopedics. So I mentioned spine and foot and ankle already. Um, We do a fair amount of work in uh, trauma space, which is kind of a really um, interesting space to apply 3D printing, as well as some orthopedic oncology for large tumor reconstruction, and also uh, most recently um, some upper extremity uh, projects as well. So kind of cutting across uh, the entire anatomy, which I think makes us really unique as an organization to not kind of have focused in on one subspecialty um, of the orthopedic market. Um, And that's because we feel really strongly that the technology that we have is kind of a platform that does cut across um, all these areas of anatomy. Um, And so to answer your question, you know, how do we kind of decide what products to, you know, do R&D on and ultimately, you know, you know, clear through um, regulatory pathways and bring to the market. And it's really collaboration with, you know, surgeon um, um, users. So we we work directly um, with KOLs and all those spaces to help us understand where they're most pressing and challenging clinical problems. What are the things that you know, what are the cases that keep you out, up at night that you wish you had a different solution for? Where do you feel like you're having to MacGyver a solution on the back table because there's nothing available to you um, to solve the problem for a given patient? Um, and I think when you kind of approach surgeons with that kind of, you know, set of questioning, um, their wheels start turning pretty quickly to say, you know, oh, I had this one patient, you know, two months ago, this is what I did. You know, I'm not completely happy with where we got, you know, I think we could have done something better. Um, And that's where we get really excited because the collaboration with, you know, the surgeons that are thinking innovatively and want to kind of challenge the status quo of what they have available to them today. And then combining that with, you know, our engineering team that are, you know, absolutely elite um, in the space of, you know, design and manufacturing, it's a, a really special kind of environment to do some innovative things. And are you wedded to 3D printing technology as a, as a means to develop your products? Or is it a case that, you know, sometimes it, it isn't the right technology for you guys to use? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, Um, We have invested very heavily in our manufacturing facility um, and have a number of printing technologies um, for use in production, as well as, you know, kind of doing our own um, R&D in-house, which we really benefit from. Um, But we are um, not blind to the fact that printing can't do everything, and there are some limitations, and there are some situations in which um, traditional manufacturing is still a more appropriate um, choice for, you know, producing an individual part. Um, we we certainly use, you know, traditional CNC and other um, manufacturing technologies to produce um, a number of components or, you know, more commonly to do some kind of post-processing machining um, on the printed, you know, near net shape parts. Um, so our facility, you know, we also have uh, some traditional CNC um, equipment as well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we are, you know, kind of cut across both traditional and additive manufacturing technologies to ultimately produce the part uh, that we want. Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Paul Miller, 3D Systems Materials Product Marketing Manager, 
introduces Duraform PAX, a new novel SLS nylon photopolymer that promises great mechanical properties for prototypes and end-use parts, long-term stability, and unexpected low cost of ownership. Duraform PAX is a new family of products that uh, we developed in partnership with uh, Ams Grilltech. And what we're really excited about is it's innovation in a space where there hasn't been a ton of types of materials. Duraform PAX is durable, it's tough, um, it has really high elongation, and is really flexible. So it opens up a lot of application possibilities. It prints at a very low temperature, which is actually one of its strengths because it's easier on printers and has a really high recycling rate. What we're also really excited about is some of the operational benefits. It is faster to handle. Uh, you can remove it, the part cake, the machine faster after printing, and the breakout of parts. And, and that's where some of the financial benefits help our customers as well. When people hear new and novel, they, they typically jump to, it's gotta be expensive. Um, but, but our pricing strategy with Duraform PAX was intended to encourage adoption as a go-to material, particularly for those customers that are looking for prints with unspecified properties. So you, you still get all those great mechanical properties that we, we talked about, but at generally a lower cost. And then it's the operational benefits. It's the ease of printing. It's the operator intervention, the less service. You don't have any sublimation, which is one of the big challenges people experience with PA11s. Our customers have come to us and said they're really excited to be able to offer an SLS material uh, to their customers that, that they can ship within 24 hours, which is, is truly remarkable. This material is intended for end-use parts. You've got long-term stability and in some cases properties that make it indistinguishable from injection molded parts. Can you talk about that? Today we have two different variants and it's a family that we expect that will we'll grow in the future. We have a, a natural color and a black color. We've tested the color and the mechanical properties out over five years for indoor and outdoor over uh, a year and a half. And the tensile strength, the elongation and color all hold up from the look and the aesthetics of the material, particularly when you vapor hone it, you're able to get some translucency that opens up new applications. So anything where you're trying to look at liquids and anything within walls, you'll get that really nice translucency. It's, it's been described from our customers as looking like a, a rigid polypropylene. For the black material, uh, instead of the translucency, you get an additional sheen. So some of these sample applications that we've made is we've introduced texture onto the parts and then vapor honed it. By doing that, it really looks like an injection molded plastic. One of the examples I like to talk about is some of our engineers that work on all these different materials in, in our office and showing these uh, vapor honed SLS parts, people are shocked to believe that they're, they come from SLS. To learn more, head over to mytct.co forward slash 3dspod or visit 3dsystems.com. In 2021, um, Restore 3D merged with Kinos Medical. Um, can you tell me about the, the, I guess, the expertise and, and the technical capacity and capabilities that, that Kinos Medical had and why a business combination between the two companies felt, felt suitable? Absolutely. I um, would be really excited to kind of share a little bit more about that. Um, because we have some really exciting things in the pipeline um, coming out with the Kinos product line um, over the next couple of weeks. Um, so back in 2021, uh, Kinos was um, a startup based out of uh, Philadelphia. The research behind 
um, their technology, which for those that might not be familiar, um, the Kinos uh, total axiom total ankle replacement system is the first uh, total ankle plate replacement to allow for um, natural kinematic motion and it restores motion in kind of all three anatomic planes. Um, so it's kind of the first of its kind and the biomechanics uh, research behind um, that design came out of uh, Soren Siegler's research group at Drexel University. So I think from the very beginning, working with their team, um, we felt very um, close to them in that they also felt very um, strongly about investing in kind of foundational academic level research um, to have rationale and, um, you know, research behind the design of the products. Um, at that point, the, the ankle system was being traditionally manufactured, um, and we saw a great opportunity to be able to merge the businesses, bring kind of the, the product um, into the Restore 3D family, um, as well as the Kinos team, um, and convert that product to be 3D printed um, to allow for uh, the porous architecture that we design, which we call our title technology, to be applied to both the tibial and the tailor components um, of the implant, as well as to start to think about how do we bring some more um, personalization to the total ankle replacement procedure. Um, so it's been um, a very kind of successful merger for us up to this point. Um, converting that over. Actually, uh, earlier uh, this year in January, we announced um, the release of the fully 3D printed system. Um, so that includes both the uh, the printed um, tibial component, which is machined, or I'm sorry, rather manufactured um, in titanium, and then the uh, tailor component, which is a cobalt chrome component, um, featuring our title technology. Um, and so that's been a, a really successful venture to date. And then we've got some really um, cool stuff kind of in the pipeline that will roll out through the rest of this year um, to extend that product line and kind of fully bring to fruition the vision, the vision rather, um, of the two organizations uh, kind of coming together. Mm. I noticed on the, um, on the company website, you have listed um, a number of technologies, one of which is Tidal, then there's Kinos, and then there's Novo. So can you, I guess, take me through those technologies and explain what each of them does? And, and you know, I guess in the in the total ankle system um, product, there's, there's Tidal and Kinos in that, in that brand name. So can you tell me how they can, I guess, integrate with one another and, and supplement each other to, to create a better product? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Kino system and the technology there um, is really based in that biomechanics research that I mentioned out of Drexel University. Um, then the kind of innovation really lies in the uh, shape of the bearing surface of the implant, which again allows for motion in all three anatomic planes and restores a more um, natural biomechanics um, based on kind of you know healthy gait mechanics for. Uh, the patient, and then combining that technology um, with the tidal porous structure um, to allow for uh, bony fixation of the uh, total ankle components to both the tibia and the talus allows us to provide an even um, more innovative and um, superior offering um, to overcome some of the kind of common um, uh, issues with um, current total ankle replacements. So some of that is kind of 
uh, tibial component loosening um, and other things. And so based on the technology that we've developed with Tidal, which again is kind of based in all of the research that we did out of Duke University, um, we've, we are expecting to have kind of um, superior bony ingrowth into those 3D printed Kinos components um, and allow for, you know, an overall better outcome uh, for the patients. We're very excited um, about that. I noticed as well when the uh, Kinos Axiom total ankle system was was launched um, at, the, at the beginning of the year that it was um, described as a data-driven implant system. So I was wondering if you can talk to the, the significance of of the fact that it's data driven and, and what's involved in that data and, and how that results in a, in a better product and better outcomes for the patients. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the kind of underlying research um, from Soren Siegler's group at Drexel was um, based on um, anatomic and morphology studies of um, healthy individuals and some cadaveric specimens um, looking at, you know, CT scans to understand and study the morphology um, of the, you know, the bones in the ankle joint and the ankle joint complex, as well as some computational modeling, uh, finite element modeling, and then actual kind of biomechanics, um, six degrees of, you know, uh, of freedom uh, testing to, you know, feed that into how we think about, you know, how to design a system that allows for a, a more natural range of motion um, to restore the anatomy um, back to, you know, the state that it should be for a patient. And so um, for us, again, you know, that's part of the ethos of the business is to be very um, scientifically grounded. Um, and so that that kind of data-driven aspect of the design of the implant is something that we're very proud about. And we continue to do that work. Um, we still actively collaborate um, with the research group to continue um, to explore, um, you know, new new options and uh, new ideas um, in that space. There was um, alongside the that announcement of the um, the the Kinos Axiom ankle system. There was um, the launch of the R three ID personalized surgery platform. So, can you tell me how that? platform works and, and what the offers are to, um, you know, medical professionals? Absolutely. Um, we're very excited about um, what we've developed with R3ID um, in a relatively short period of time. Um, so the platform is uh, enables our surgeon um, collaborators to um, work directly with our engineering team to facilitate that patient-specific design process. So um, before the launch of R3ID, that was kind of conducted in what I call an offline process and what we've brought um, to the table with the launch of R3ID, um, which is both a, a web and now a mobile companion app for both iOS and Android, is the ability for the surgeon to um, collaborate with you know, the engineering team at Restore3D uh, directly. So upload uh, CT scans of the patient preoperatively, provide us some information about um, the case and the patient um, that we need to go ahead and start our design process. And then um, you know, kind of facilitate the patient-specific process uh, through the portal all the way through um, getting ready for manufacturing and then ultimately, um, you know, shipping the products out for surgery. Um, the other kind of great benefit of the system is that it acts as 
a repository for an individual surgeon's kind of case library. And so they can go back and um, access their past cases uh, on the fly and, you know, remember, oh, I did this case with Restore 3D a couple of months ago. Um, I have a patient that might be, you know, a candidate for something similar and kind of refresh their memory on what's going on. Or if they're kind of preparing for a podium presentation or a case uh, series, um, they can kind of aggregate all that data together. And that's been a really exciting kind of feature um, of what we've rolled out that surgeons have been um, very uh, positive on. Mm. I wanted to pick up on something you, you mentioned earlier, which was scaled personalization. So can you provide some insight into the kind of infrastructure that's required to achieve scaled personalization? Because obviously personalization is a long talked about as a benefit of 3D printing technology. But how do you, how does a company manage to do that manufacturing just in time, but, you know, at, at a scale? And what does that actually look like for, for a company like Restore 3D? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And honestly, probably um, one of the more kind of common objections that we might see um, from, you know, people in the market saying this is great for, you know, personalization at this level is great for some really complex uh, reconstructions, but it's not something that can be, you know, applied to um, every case in orthopedics. And, you know, our team feels very strongly that that's not the case and that we're, you know, our vision is to make this a scalable um, operation. So that includes kind of scaling both the, the front end design aspects as well as the manufacturing operations uh, as well. Um, and so, you know, I mentioned it at the top of the, the talk that we are moving into a new um, facility and the intention there is to um, really bring scale uh, to our manufacturing asset um, to unlock that vision. And then the other component is to um, bring more digital aspects to the front end of the process. Our first kind of step into that space is the launch of our 3ID um, to make the process um, streamlined and frictionless uh, for the surgeons and our team, um, as well as trying to bring some more automation um, and you know streamlining the design aspects um, of what our team does. So um, the more that we can bring um, you know, automatic segmentation, automatic design, um, you know, these sorts of aspects to what we're doing on that business, we'll be able to kind of truly unlock the vision of scaled personalized orthopedics. And how, in, in terms of that vision of, of, of scale personalization, how much of a hurdle does um, FDA clearance, for example, become? Because obviously that's, that's something you've got to do anyway and you've got to prove that it's you know safe and effective but when you're when it's a potentially a different part every every time how how much more of a challenge is that yeah it's a great question i think there's been a lot of great uh collaboration and conversation in um you know the last year or two around um point of care printing um and kind of what that looks like and fda's laid out some really interesting framework um from their perspective and solicited some feedback um, from, you know, industry and others. Um, but I think, you know, your question around how do you, how do we think about regulatory um, inside of what we're doing in the walls of Restore 3D um, is a great question. And so we've been very fortunate to collaborate um, with FDA and 
um, really try to understand from their perspective, how can we do this at scale um, and be, you know, compliant in the regulations. So that looks like, you know, designing, um, you know, envelopes that encompass some of the patient specific aspects um, and features of what we might want to do for a given device and being really thoughtful um, and, you know, collaborative, like I said, um, with the agency um, to be able to, to do this. And as a, as a general question, how would you assess the adoption of not just, you know, your, your own uh, printed medical devices, but, but other three printed medical devices in the market? And what, what's the kind of impact that the technology is, is, has had in, in the space so far? Yeah, I mean, I think we're probably right on the, the early part of the adoption curve, which I think is the most exciting thing about what we're doing. Um, I think we're, we're kind of just at the tip of the iceberg as far as what we can do with the technology. I'm constantly amazed at kind of the evolution um, of, you know, the machines themselves and the design software that we're using and um, all those sorts of things that just kind of continue to um, evolve over, you know, the last couple of years. Um, I think, you know, for us, we have such a great relationship with the surgeons that we work with. We get to hear a lot about the direct impact that we're having on a patient. And that's honestly the most um, exciting part about what we do and what gets our team, um, you know, really motivated um, to do what we do day in and day out. Um, so, you know, when we hear stories about um, the impact that we have on a patient, whether it's, you know, salvaging their limb, allowing them to, you know, maintain motion at their ankle joint, um, whatever it might be, um, it's a really, um, you know, positive and motivating thing um, because what we do is really hard. And so knowing that, you know, there's a patient at the end of this um, and that the impact is um, a positive thing is the most exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think are the, I guess, the challenges pertaining to the to the technology that you use that, you know, that remain that are going to need to be overcome for, you know, for, you mentioned it was the tip of the iceberg. So for, for, for the technology to access the rest of the iceberg, how, what needs to, what needs to get better? Yeah, I think for us, a big focus um, kind of coming up for the rest of the year and forward is, the design automation and the aspects that I talked about there. How do you move from preoperative CT scan um, to design personalized implant, um, you know, in the most streamlined manner possible, taking in, you know, the design inputs from the surgeon, as well as kind of the engineering design inputs as well, um, and producing, you know, a device that is ultimately going to meet the needs of the patient. Um, so I think that there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, I think some of the um, segmentation software and the other design software that we use, again, has seen pretty drastic improvement over the past couple of years, but it's certainly kind of not um, fully to the level that we think it needs to be. And so that's a big area of focus for us um, in this year. Um, and then, you know, we can always kind of, you know, look at new technologies to improve our manufacturing efficiency. So, um, you know, for us, that looks like always kind of evaluating uh, the market for what new uh, machines might be available um, and not really ever being locked into um, one system, you know, being agnostic to the manufacturers so that we can be very nimble and agile and adopting um, new equipment as needed to be able to meet the needs of our business. Does that make it harder that from a, you know, from coming from the 
um, 3D printing technology side, the technology is still developing and, and still improving and getting more repeatable. And does that make it harder for you guys to, to work long term when a technology could come up in, in a year or two that's better than what you're using currently? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? So our team um, likes to solve hard problems. And so we're always kind of, like I said, evaluating for what's the next best thing. But obviously there's, um, you know, a, a cost to making a change from, you know, one system to another. We spend a lot of time thinking about how we do our system qualifications, you know, IQ, OQ, PQ for any given uh, product line and process. Um, and so, you know, making those changes has to be something that's very strategic. Um, and that's why, you know, we're always kind of what's the business case behind um, the shift in technology? Um, is it warranted? And, you know, and then we make the decision kind of going from there. Canberra, thank you for your, for your time today. As we touched on at the start, obviously 2023 is um, going to be a, a big year for the, for the company. I believe there's more products set to come out. So what can you tell us just to finish off um, about what's in store for, for the company this year and what we can expect to see? Yeah, we're we're really excited for 2023. We've got some big plans. Um, we have a litany of product launches rolling out um, all across um, kind of the different areas that I talked about. Um, we're really excited to kind of continue to um, grow our presence in, you know, all of the areas of orthopedics to get kind of fully moved in and settled into our new facility. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be a great year and we're really excited to see uh, where it takes us. <laughs>